0: We're going to read together from John 12. John 12. Six days before the Passover. And this is, uh, this is John telling his story of the run-up now, the final week run-up to good friday 6 weeks before the uh, 6 days before the passover jesus came to bethany where lazarus lived whom jesus had raised from the dead here a dinner was given in jesus honor martha served while lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him then mary took about half a liter of pure nard an expensive perfume and she poured it on jesus feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth the year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you. But you'll not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat upon it as it's written, Don't be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king's coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with them when he called Lazarus from the tomb raised him and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they'd heard that he'd performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. When uh, there's four accounts of Jesus, as you know, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when they write, there's some things that some of them will choose not to include in their account. And there's other things that all of them say, we want we want to include this in. So each four say, we're going to put this in because this really matters. And this anointing by uh, this woman, Mary, is in all four gospel accounts. All of the writers said, this is important. I want you to see this. And and I think it was probably because it was so undignified, it was so embarrassing, it kind of would have been very memorable because it was the last thing that anybody would have expected. And Jesus said it was so significant. When John's writing his gospel, he's wanting to put this into the midst of the story of Lazarus. Did you hear how many times Lazarus was mentioned just in that passage that we read? Four times. It's about Lazarus. It was in the home uh, where Lazarus was. It was after the resurrection, at the raising of Lazarus. And the Pharisees are worried now because Lazarus... As people are wanting to see Lazarus. Lazarus is the guy that had died and they put him in the tomb and after three days Jesus comes along and says roll away the stone and Lazarus comes out alive. And there's a kind of a sense that everything that's happening around this now, the pressure and the intensity is rising because now the Pharisees are saying and the authorities are saying we don't just need to get rid of Jesus, we need to get rid of Lazarus as well. It's kind of like, we just need to kill some of these people off because they are not helping. When John tells his gospel, he's really careful about how many miracles he includes, and he includes seven, and Lazarus is the seventh. The only miracle that happens after Lazarus is the resurrection. It's like... John has been writing, and John is the one that keeps saying these things that God does, these things that when he intervenes, these things that miracles that you can't explain. It's not just wow moments. It's actually moments that point to something else. And it's almost like the raising of Lazarus from the dead is the best of the best of the best miracles. He was dead, as dead as they come, but Jesus brought him back to life. And they're at a dinner, and Lazarus, they're in Lazarus's little village, and Lazarus is there. What would you love to ask Lazarus? <laughs> if Lazarus, yeah, do you know what I mean? Whoever you were, if you were putting a dinner party and you knew Lazarus was in the area, you'd get him to come, wouldn't you? You'd say, there's a few things we would like to ask you. I'd have loads of things I'd want to ask him. Uh, come and have dinner with us, and Lazarus is going, well, I've got... Fifty-four dinners to go to next week, but I can fit you in. And Lazarus is sitting there, and Jesus is sitting there. And Martha and Mary, who are Lazarus' sisters, are sitting there. And if Jesus has brought back your brother who's died too young, how do you feel as a sister? You know, in that whole story of where Martha and Mary were just beside themselves with grief. And now you're sitting there, and at the head of the table is your brother, who was dead, but he's now alive again, and Jesus. What a brilliant, brilliant moment. But then it kind of like, it's almost like Mary, she kind of goes overboard. She's just embarrassing then. I've got some pictures when I want to show you in this. just four pictures, but just trying to show you what some artists have done. Um, this is obviously a contemporary kind of reworking of what had gone on. And uh, they're having a meal, and then this woman just comes with this ointment and starts to pour it all over Jesus and uh, over his head, over his feet. And it's kind of like, it's just embarrassing. And uh, on that picture, and there's more, but don't put them up yet, but there's, there's others. When John writes, he says, he tells you, it's kind of like not just a little atomizer. <laughs> you know, it's not just like a little sample. It's half a, half a liter of nard, really expensive stuff. It cost 300 denarii, which is the currency of the day. It's like a a year's wages. So think it through. What's the average wage? It doesn't really matter, does it? But we're talking in the region of £20,000 worth of ointment, perfume. £20,000 is just being wasted. It's just being poured out. It's just... And she's there in the middle of all the men and she pours it all out. What are you doing with so much ointment? What are you doing with so much perfume? Well, some people think it might have been an heirloom, something that's passed down. Some people might have thought, actually, maybe it's the sort of thing that you would hold as a family so that when your own family members do die, then one by one, you just might use a little bit. But whatever's happening, Mary's deciding this is the moment to blow the whole lot. This is the day in which I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not worried about my security. I'm not worried about the family. And I really don't care what you think of me. Today's the day i blow it. And she pours it on to Jesus. And then, John says, just to finish it off, she does the absolute Horrific thing in the minds of men. She takes her uh, the, the the covering off her head, shakes down her hair, gets on her hands and knees, and starts to wipe the feet with her hair. And you've got a dozen other men at least, plus Lazarus, plus his sister, who's Martha. She's always busy in the kitchen. She's coming in with plates. Going, oh, she's at it again. Do you know what I mean? It's like, did she not learn last time we went through this scenario with Jesus? And Martha's bringing the food in going, what is that smell? Because the room is full of it. And Mary is absolutely unashamedly, unashamedly in front of Jesus. This is uh, an older picture by Rubens and it's maybe not that clear. You need to see it in full. But what he's done, he's got, there's Mary, and there's Jesus, and then you've got the disciples. And the thing about Rubens is he, he never prettied things up. I mean, they're ugly belocks, aren't they? <laughs> and And I kind of like it because it probably would have been, well, the truth is they probably would have been younger than this. But they wouldn't have been pretty, pretty, and it would have been dirty. And Jesus' feet would have been dirty. In fact, in in another few pages, you're going to get the story of Jesus going for a supper and none of the blokes wanting to wash each other's feet. And Mary takes the role that none of the blokes would have done. But not just with water, but with everything that she's got. When you read the Bible, sometimes I think what we're supposed to do is work out which side of the story would you be on. You're in a context like that where you're sitting around and then one person does something really embarrassing. One person who doesn't worry what anybody else thinks of her. And even though she's in front of everybody else, she's saying, this is my moment and it's my moment. In a sense, it's my moment with Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of what you think of me. It's one woman who acts in a way that just shows how vulnerable she is. She makes herself incredibly vulnerable at that moment. In a way that Jesus would. The whole story of Jesus is, Jesus makes himself vulnerable from stable to cross. His life was one where he said, I don't need to protect myself. I'm going to be be vulnerable. And I will be hurt, and I will be rejected, and I will be misunderstood. And I will not always be liked, but I'm not actually going to defend myself most of the time. I'm just going to be vulnerable. A woman who is extravagant, and I know I've said it a few times, but... She was, and it is, over the top in a room that's filled with her smell. I wonder if you'd been there, which side of the story you'd be on. Would you be one of the guys around the table going, I can't believe she's doing that. If we just don't look, maybe we won't have to acknowledge it. Would you have been the one going... I I don't understand. Not here, not now. She goes beyond herself. She worships. She shows her devotion, her love, her gratitude. And she goes beyond everything that she knows. But then again, she's the woman that said, I'm not going to be in the kitchen. When Jesus is in the room, I refuse to go in the kitchen. I'm going to sit at Jesus' feet. She's a woman who knows her place. And the place is not in the kitchen. Her place is at the foot of Jesus. She's a woman who says, I don't care what social custom says. I'm here. I don't care what you think of me. I'm here. Because actually, on this day, the only man that really mattered was that man. And of course, he was the only man that understood. The other men, well, it's interesting is it's Judas that pipes up. And Judas is the pragmatist. Judas is the one that says, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower. But what sort of follower is he? Well, he's mean, spirited. He's ungenerous, and he's remarkably uncreative. Because he says, this perfume, if you'd wanted to get rid of it, Mary, it's almost like, Mary, you just try to get shut of it. Mary, if you'd wanted to get rid of it, we could have sold it for £20,000, and we could have given the money away. We could have started a whole new social project. And John says, he wouldn't really have done that. He just wanted the money for himself but remarkably pragmatic. Mary, don't be so extravagant. Mary, let's use it for something more sensible. It's interesting that at that point, Jesus' disciple is much closer to Jesus' enemies. If you've still got your Bible open, just flick back to uh, chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, verse 45. Let's read a little bit there. It's at the end of that story all about Lazarus being raised from the dead, and this is how it goes. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and they told them what Jesus had done, and the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, kind of like the big council. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come, and they'll take away both our temple and our nation. One of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You don't realize it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He didn't say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. That's like John speaking in brackets, because that's not really what Caiaphas actually meant, but that's the meaning of what Caiaphas said. Verse 53, so from that day they plotted to take Jesus' life. It's kind of like the Pharisees were saying, how do we protect what we have? It happens again in, uh, in verse 10, the, uh, chapter 12. The chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The Pharisees and Judas, they want to kill the life-givers, and they want to kill those to whom life has been given, if it means they can keep things as they are. When I read the story of Mary, anointing Jesus' feet, I keep on asking myself, Where would I be in that story? This is another contemporary picture. What it might have felt like for a woman to do that. Jesus, Jesus receives it. And Jesus is unembarrassed, and he links it with his burial. And if you will, when John's telling the story, this is like almost the, the death day. A woman's come to anoint a body for burial, and that's the man that's going to be buried, Jesus And then John, next day says, but the next morning when Jesus woke up, he entered Jerusalem as a king on a donkey and people started shouting, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. And you've heard a million, if you've been in church before, you've heard a million stories on Goodf- on Palm Sunday and you know What we always say is that Jesus comes in and and he is the king. He's reclaiming Jerusalem. He's coming in to say, I am your king. It's just that he's such a different king than anybody expected. But he's, he's the humble king. And the world, the Pharisees were worried, have gone after him. And the Pharisees and Judas and the disciples, they're worried because actually if everybody's going after this king and Jesus is going to do this sort of thing, then actually it's going, to mean, it's going to mean change for all of us. Jesus, this week, from Palm Sunday through to Good Friday, through to Easter Saturday, the day where it's just a rest day, and then Easter Sunday, this is the day when Jesus is going to be enthroned as king. But a king that you never expected, doing it in ways that you would never have guessed, but a king all the same we 're back to a nineteenth century picture, and there you 've got mary and uh, and this one is probably much closer to the way they would have been sitting on on benches with the with the food served there, and them kind of hanging over the top, really. Um, So which side of the story are you on? Are you the one looking on, holding back, easily embarrassed? Do you call yourself down to earth? I don't get myself too excited about this sort of stuff. Are you the one that finds it difficult to let go? And so you can't always understand what people like this are doing? when we talk about prayer and being generous and fasting, is there a bit of you that says, there's no need to get so serious about it? Can't we just do the ordinary Christianity? Is there a bit of you that says, surely it doesn't need to be quite so costly? Is there a bit of you that says, surely it doesn't doesn't actually demand my own security? Is there a bit of you that says, couldn't you have done it in a less obtrusive way? Well, the good news is that Jesus doesn't clear the room and say to all those blokes, can you leave? Because there's only one person in the room that's got it right. He dies for all of them. And he comes back to all of them. The ones who are hard hearted and remarkably uncreative in their worship. The ones who are easily embarrassed. The ones, you know, almost that kind of don't notice what's going on. Those who are not certain. And so as we begin the run up to Easter, this woman whose story is told in all four gospel accounts, the story is this, following Jesus really is all or nothing. It really is. You can hang around Jesus and actually miss what it's really about. You can kind of be around Christianity stuff, but just make it into something much easier. Or you can worship like Mary, countercultural, costly, but recognizing that actually he'd done so much for that family. That was a thing. He done so much for the family. And actually what she was doing was so little. We're going to pray together. Let's pray. With the whole realm of nature mine that we're an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We kind of find ourselves back where often we began, we journeyed all the way around, we came back to the beginning where we come to this Jesus who is Lord and we acknowledge that he is the Lord of our lives. And then we recognize so often that what we've done is we've made him Lord in a certain way over a certain part. And the Lordship kind of fits into our life rather than us submitting and offering our life to Him. Lord, forgive us for the times when we've made it so much more convenient to follow You. Lord, we offer You our lives again. We offer You our futures, the things that we count on for security in the future, recognizing that You hold our security. Lord, some of us just need to say we want to stop being so worried about what other people think of us. Lord, we want to offer you our vulnerability and our willingness to be open and honest and unafraid. And Lord, for those of us who are pragmatists at heart and kind of we would call ourselves down to earth and realists, Lord, will you touch our hearts so that we might know what reckless worship and reckless service looks like. Lord, this week where we remember that Jesus came and as part of his whole being on earth was to reflect the Father and the Father's love for a world who gave himself so freely that we might live who triumphed over the grave and over the death and the powers that held him. Lord, may we know that freedom that comes from you. May we follow that, Jesus. May our love flow through our lips May our words tell a good story. May our heart be touched by you again, we pray. our place, and may that place be at the feet of Jesus. Lord, we bless you. If you can, will you just stand? That's easy enough for you. (laughs) We're going to just invite the Holy Spirit to come, just really gently. What we're asking is that God's presence would just come and touch you and touch me that, um, in new ways. For some people, it really helps just to hold their hands out as sort of like a sign of being able to receive a gift, something new, something fresh. For other people, it's kind of like a moment where you'd almost hold your head back a little and turn your face towards the ceiling, it's almost like saying, okay, do it again. Take this heart that easily gets so barren and so dry and come and refresh it again, we pray. Come Holy Spirit and rest on us this morning, we pray. To those of us who are um, just in a place where Nothing particularly bad, but just we need that renewing life, that refreshing life of the Spirit to come, to stir our own heart, to make us creative, to give us a sense of all that we can offer to Jesus. Lord, may we come and receive from you, we pray. Holy Spirit, come and rest on us, your children. just where you are, very quietly, but not so others can hear, but so that you can hear yourself, just invite the Spirit to come and to fill you again. Use words so you can hear yourself, invite in that. The presence of God that comes close, the presence of God that brings wisdom, the presence of God that brings love and joy and peace, The spirit that says, actually, I want to change you so you're not mean-spirited, you're not lacking generosity, you're not in a corner, all that stuff that often we end up like, Lord, come and fill us again, cleanse us, clean us, make us vulnerable, make us humble, invite the spirit to rest upon got guarded hearts against others. Lord, will you help us just to be free?